I would say that the unexpected is often just hidden in plain sight. If only we can look past our assumptions and biases, the power of juxtaposition and combination help us create new lenses for identifying possibilities outside those assumptions. And we are back for Series 3 of Transformation Stories from the award-winning Beltec Cafe. This series, we're talking innovation, commerce, emotive marketing, and career changes. We'll also dip into trends in fintech, digital health, retail, mobility, manufacturing, and speak to CEOs, CDOs, SMEs, and lots of other acronyms too. As always, you can expect gloriously unscripted discussions that shed an open and transparent light on the ebb and flow of our digital world. I'm Tizzy Philp, and welcome to the podcast. Evan Carlin is a Global Director of Future Engagement Model, Customer Engagement and Execution at leading pharmaceutical company Novartis. It's a role that requires him and his field force team to explore what the future of Novartis could be, preparing for the challenges and opportunities to come 5, 10 and 15 years from now. By imagining all possible future scenarios, they are positioning themselves for a better future. Today, we'll talk about the impact of design thinking, the reality of making these insights actionable, and how to focus on the emerging trends that have the greatest future potential. So even welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Great to have you. And let's begin with an introduction. Maybe you could tell me more about you, your experience, and perhaps then let's expand on the details of your current position with Novartis. Absolutely. Before we start, I just need to wave the safe harbor flag by saying that the views I express in these podcasts are my own and that my employer has no affiliation with this program. So end of safe harbor, and I'm absolutely excited to be here and to participate to the podcast and this episode. You know, reflecting back, it's hard to believe, even for myself, that I started my career as an investment banker in Switzerland back in the days. I'm Swiss myself, but then luckily, and uh, for, for me and my sanity, I quickly moved into the realm of information management and CRM, so customer relationship management. I have then held different advisory and management positions on the vendor side, primarily at companies like HP, Dow Jones, eBay, Deloitte, to name a few. I joined Novartis in early 2021, first in in the Nordics, leading their omni-channel marketing efforts. And then I moved to their corporate headquarters in Basel, where I am today. Wonderful. Thank you. Great intro. And then maybe for those of our listeners who aren't so familiar with Novartis, maybe you can give us an overview into the work that they do. Novartis is considered one of the leading life science companies worldwide with headquarters in Switzerland. It was founded back in 1996 from the merger of two companies, uh, one called Sibagaigi and the other one Sandoz. And Novartis is active in different therapy areas like cardiovascular, uh, solid tumors, hematology, and immunology. 
its main purpose is to reimagine medicine and improve and extend people's lives. Wonderful. There's going to be so much for us to talk about then. And I, I gave an introduction to your role in the overview at the start, Global Director of Future Engagement Model, Customer Engagement and Execution. Tell us what that means in a nutshell. Yeah, so indeed, the official title is Global Director of Future Engagement Models. And I have sometimes the difficulty to explain what it entails and, and what not, because it means a lot of things and it means nothing at the same time. So maybe let me start by saying that I am part of the wider CENE, so that stands for Customer Engagement and Experience Group, whose goal is really to develop impactful, integrated customer experience programs and products. Our main markets can then customize and implement locally. My specific role is more anchored in better understanding the future of our field force and using foresight as one of the frameworks to uncover forming signals, um, new trends that may or may not have a significant impact on how our field force engages with its main stakeholders in, say, the next five, eight or, or 10 years. Tell us more about the driving factors behind it. What is Novartis as a, an organization seeking to gain from the formation of this team? Good question. A lot of what we do as a team and as a commercial organization in assisting our markets, the patients and customer they serve with the product and services is very much anchored in the present, in, in the here and now. Say, for example, our medical representatives, they are in the field daily talking to healthcare professionals. They leverage different tools to help them carry out their work and really are trained in all the needed skills to offer the best possible customer experience and, and outcome for patients. Having a dedicated function that would essentially take a step back and concentrate on the wider aspects of what might or might not influence our work in the longer term future seemed like a very natural and, and humble thing to do, which means looking at ways we can better anticipate the future by collecting, monitoring, emerging signals and trends. We'll come back to that, I think, later on. And already defining actions in the present to really test or, or future-proof or at least collect in a way or another learnings about some of these scenarios. To do so, we use foresight, which in a nutshell is the process of turning facts about the present into plausible, provocative, and logical views of the future. Foresight is a practice that encompasses creative thinking about future possibilities and systematic analysis of patterns that affect change. So foresight, in essence, or the foresight tools and methodology really helps us sense change and communicate a new vision. Fantastic. And as you mentioned, we are going to make this even more tangible a little bit later on in, in the conversation. But I love this idea of scenario planning. It's maybe something that you wouldn't necessarily attribute to a company like Novartis, but really you are 
practicing scenario planning. That's correct. And and, and maybe, maybe I can start with the concept of drivers and signals. So drivers, on one hand, describe the context and direction of change for possible futures. They are often called trends or, or megatrends. And they all fall uh, into one of the so-called steep categories, as in S-T-E-E-P. They can be of social, technological, economical, environmental, or political nature. So if you think of it, they are established phenomena with widespread consensus that they are occurring. So they are bigger things that we know are happening. On the other hand, and in addition to the drivers, we collect so-called signals. And a signal is a smaller or more local innovation with the potential to disrupt the status quo or scale up in size or, or geography. So in essence, continuously finding and cataloging signals is a key component of researching the future. As an example, uh, when, when we talk about signals, a signal can be a new product, new service, or an experience. It can also be a business initiative or as simple as an anecdote or personal observation, a behavior. It can be many things, but the important and interesting thing is really cataloging those signals. After presenting these two concepts of drivers and signals, I would say that the unexpected is often just hidden in plain sight. If only we can look past our assumptions and, and biases. The power of juxtaposition and combination help us create new lenses for identifying possibilities outside those assumptions. And hence, really early ideas for forecasts can come from combining drivers in this steep framework with signals. Coming back to some concrete example of future scenario or forecast example, I can mention two that, that are of particular interest. One is the so-called Smurf villages. So imagine in a decade from now or even longer, people will prefer to live in local closed communities. They will care for each other and be effortlessly connected digitally and physically. So community HCP or healthcare practitioner and caregivers will see patients more holistically and include their lifestyle patterns in a different way into the preventive and, and care mix. That, that can be one of the uh, future scenarios. A second one, another forecast is one that, that is called closed loop digital journey. So uh, again, imagine in, in 10, 15 years time, chronic patients will have digital measurement supported with remote interactions. They won't need to go physically anywhere. And based on complete electronic health records and AI tools that will provide diagnosis and, and treatment recommendations. Imagine for each of those scenarios, we are really plotting a probable or desirable future states and trying to imagine with the help of different stakeholders at Novartis what that would mean 
for our operations, for the services that we provide as a global entity to our markets, and really trying to immerse ourselves in the what-if consequences of those scenarios. It's a fascinating approach, not least because you need to be able to make the decision about which ones to focus on, which, um, I'm thinking of eggs in baskets, where to put your eggs in which baskets to make sure that you're giving the, enough attention and the right amount of attention to these likely future scenarios versus the ones that perhaps aren't going to take off. And we'll get into that again in more detail. I know that's coming up. We often talk to businesses who've built out internal teams and functions like this to focus on future innovation or the needs of the future customer. But often these teams are coming up against a lot of red tape and internal frustration when they want to impart those learnings and insights across the rest of the business. What's been your experience within Novartis of that? And how are you making those insights actionable within the company? That's a very interesting question. And I'm going to try to stay honest here and not spill the beans because the answer to that is both excitement and frustration. And, you know, the one thing I can tell to you, and I'm not going to lie, is getting people excited about what might happen in five or 10 years or even more, while there is already so much work in the now, and considering that these same people we are asking to participate in, in foresight engagements might not even be around to observe the result of the effort is challenging, to say the very least. So, you know, that being said, we, we are not starting from scratch with foresight. And there is already um, a solid legacy of groundwork that passionate other people have been able to shape already. So I, I personally think it really starts and ends with people, always. People with an open mind, an appetite for ambiguity, and, and really the courage to do things differently. The secret sauce, if you ask me, is in the narrative. How do we craft a story that will really ignite their passion, that will trigger emotions, and, and equally important with tangible and concrete actions already anchored in, in the now? And that might just be the magic path to uncover and, and work on this holy grail of things we don't know, we don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to imagine a scenario or a meeting in which you're presenting these things to the rest of the organization, trying to understand how it resonates and how it actually lands with them. And then what the expectation on those people is once you've imparted that knowledge. What's been the kind of feedback that you've received so far? Because this is a relatively new function, right? What are you finding is the response so far? Are people super engaged and excited? Or as you say, they already have so much on their plate that they need to think about at the moment that this is just something that can happen tomorrow or next week or in a month's time when the less priority things are off their plate. What I've observed, and, and, and again, it is not a simple exercise to craft a story that is simple enough, yet not simplistic to really excite people about the future to come and to give them a sense that futures are bright and future is not one future, but many futures. So what I've observed is when you quite simply, you mix data and facts and findings through observing the signals, but then you mix that with the imaginative minds of experts and, and non-experts alike, supported by that framework that, that sort of acts as the catalyst of it all. What is fascinating for me to observe is how 
consensus, even with wildly different versions of the future, how this consensus builds throughout a foresight exercise without people really being aware of it. And I think that is how, in part, we determine that the one or the other future scenario is worth exploring. Because don't forget, the aim about the foresight practice is not to be right about the future. There are simply far too many variables and dependencies in play to be able to accurately predict exactly what the world will be like in five years, 10 years, or or even longer. So instead, foresight is really about imagining many different futures, positive futures, negative futures, weird futures, and amazing futures. And I think when people start to see that and they can detach themselves from their everyday project constraints and, and realities, magic happens. You've said previously, wouldn't it be nice to do the things that we don't know, we don't know. How can you make sure then that you're prioritizing the right things and assigning resources to the right areas when you don't know what you don't know, even with all the feedback that you're getting and no matter how educated these scenario plannings are, how do you know where to assign resources? Because ultimately you're a business, you have a certain budget, you have revenue goals, the same as any organization. How in difficult economic times are you able to assign resources to something like this when it is so intangible ultimately and anything could happen, as you say? It's a challenge, right? Because uh, I don't think it has reached a, a mainstream stage where we can exactly say, you know, by doing foresight right and correctly, we are going to achieve that many percent in uptake in sales. It's very difficult. But we have supporting data that shows us what competitive advantage companies applying foresight methodology gain in the mix in a time span that is not as long as the scenarios that we're plotting. Within three years, there are numbers that shows that companies outperform their peers when practicing foresight. I think another angle to look at it is really a mechanism of changing the minds and evolving the way of thinking within a company. So foresight, maybe if not directly or in the short term bringing those tangible results, it is a great vehicle to start changing opinions, ways of working. So it's a great vehicle of change management to allow people to think differently. And I think based on my research and observations, a lot of companies, even outside the life science, they've integrated that practice as part of their HR initiatives to try and embed creative thinking in the longer term. To come back to your, your question, I mean, how do we know, how do we secure the, um, the resources, the budget? You don't know on, unless you try. And th- that's the hard thing, right? You need to find people within the organization that trust the process, that have the same line of thought, that can sponsor such an initiative, and that believe in the value of taking a step back, looking at the longer term, collect those signals and make decisions based maybe on other data points than the current and original way of doing things. 
So you really need buy-in from at all levels. Oh, absolutely. Who do you find that your main stakeholders are then within the organization? It's decision makers, uh, really, that, that's the way it goes. And if they are not convinced, then how would I expect them to further educate other people of the value of it? So it, again, it comes back to having a good story, to, to hit the right nerve, to put emotions around it, but also clearly articulate what we are aiming to achieve with a foresight initiative. I think, again, I'm, I'm uh, paraphrasing myself continuously, but the narrative is the one keyword here. Without that, you have nothing. Let's take, for example, a, a scenario that you are uh, suggesting is going to take place in, in 10 years or, or the foresight sessions give you an indication of something that might be happening in a decade's time. What do you actually do then with that information? So th- that's the whole secret of the uh, of the whole foresight methodology. So, uh, of course, we have tools, templates and workshop formats that allow us to extract and play with these different insights. Before coming to that point, what type of audience do you engage? Preferably a very varied audience of different backgrounds, not necessarily the creatives, right? Ideally, you would want all the super open minds, uh, forward-looking, people not afraid of ambiguity and things like this. But the reality of the more diverging ideas and people you have in the room, the better the quality of the session. As to what you do with that information, the main output is to then, based on all those signal collection and, and the exercise that you do, is you craft what's called a preferable scenario. So not what is likely to happen, but given all the parameters and signals and information that we collect, what would we like ideally to happen, right? And then you you name that scenario, that vision, and then also based on, on different other exercises, you then define, okay, so given that definition of a preferable future scenarios, what are some of the actions that we can plan already now? And that can be of technological nature. Say, for example, we test out a new AI-driven or hologram type of new technology to validate you know, the scenario or parts of the scenario. Or it could be an exercise in, in changing operations and how we, we run the business The key to it all is to have that well-crafted scenario description, but then equally important, if not more, is to have these concrete actions that you can test out right away. And it doesn't need to be large scale. It's fail fast and, and try again, but large scale with a audience or population or market that really fits and is representative of that potential future scenario. Based on everything that you've been involved with in recent months and as part of this team, what are the insights then that you are most excited about? What do you think has the most potential to make a big impact for Novartis in the coming decade? And maybe you want to go further and talk about the industry in the coming decades. Undoubtedly, one of the biases that we are attracted to is we think of exciting foresight or future scenario as major technological 
advancements. And, you know, especially now when everybody's crazy and talking about generative AI, this and that. The one insight that really struck me when I started digging in the work of Foresight is the rather small place in the end that technology plays. It is really more in societal changes in how people will want to detach themselves from technology, not having more of it. Crafting those future scenarios where technology is not a main component for me was a wow moment. But there are many of those future. I cannot name one. I mean, I I mentioned two examples of, of future scenarios, but they can be so vast and many because they really depend on the audience and the problem that you're trying to frame. So in my specific case, or in our specific case, we, we are representing the field force in the commercial side of things in life science. But foresight can be applied to any department from the organization, life science industry or not. So the possibilities are really, really many. And that is one of the challenges that we have to really try and tame it down and really focus on the areas that we see have the most potential to disrupt the way we work, the way we go about engaging with our customers. I think that's a very interesting point when we're talking about, you know, obviously the work that we do as well. It's all about technology and innovation. But really, there are some industries where you need the human input, you want the human experience. And the answer is not always to make things more digitized or to have more technology or to have more chatbots or whatever it might be. Certainly within healthcare, people are looking for that human connection more than anything. They're looking for that trusted human interaction and something that you picked up on earlier. I think you called it Smurf, Smurf Worlds? Smurf. Yeah, Smurf Villages, correct. Smurf Villages. You know, this idea of returning back to that old school of community healthcare. When you go to the doctor, you see the same doctor every time. When you see them, they have your full record and they know everything about you and they've probably been treating you since you were a child. That does feel like something that has gone away from society and it feels like a void. So how do you get that patient or consumer feedback into this process when you're going through the foresight and the scenario planning Well, we think of ourselves of almighty, all-knowing individuals too often in pharma and and, and beyond that, right? So we cannot imagine having a complete picture without involving in some way or fashion those insights from the end users, from the HCPs that we engage with in the course of an exercise of foresight. So I think that is essential. Like any end-user-focused project that you are conducting, if you don't have the feedback of the users themselves, then that will fail. Then it's a, an exercise in a vacuum and it doesn't really add value. So one of the aspects of researching the signals is based on observations of the end-users, of the people that we interact with, either in the form of interviews or social media monitoring, where we need to collect and understand what are people talking about around a specific subject and getting their views to play in the mix of what a future scenario would look like. If there were other companies, I mean, you mentioned earlier that this is perfectly attributable to other industries as well as healthcare. 
but it's fascinating what you're doing. What would be your key learnings and recommendations to others who are interested in taking this approach and can see the value that this approach could offer their company? How would you convince them that it is worth the investment when things may seem a little intangible? And what would be your advice to them to get started? That's the whole purpose and the, the most difficult hurdle when, especially for an industry such as life science, that is not, you know, the leading ones when, when talking about foresight. So, and again, I sound like a broken record, but the narrative, right? What I found the, the most difficult in that narrative is to address the misconception and the biases that people have when you start talking to them about future studies or, or foresight, right, is, is realizing what beliefs do they have when you talk about that. And, and there are many, many misconceptions. A common one that I'm hearing is that foresight and future studies involve making predictions about the future, right? That, that sounds like a natural thing to say, but the reality is that Future studies are more concerned with identifying emerging trends and potential scenarios that could affect the future, that are playing a role already in the present. So future studies are as much about the presence as they are about trying to understand forming trends of the future. So it's really anchored in, in the present. That is that is one. The other thing, other myth that I found and that we can easily debunk, and I would really start there, is, oh, foresight is, is only for experts, or foresight is about technology, or foresight is a luxury, uh, a nice to have. We don't need that. We've, we've been doing things, you know, our way and, and, and planning short term, midterm. Why do we need five, 10 years, right? So I would really start with education, with telling the story about where foresight fits into evolving culturally a company thinking differently about how they address uncertainty and the future. Are you optimistic about the future of your industry? Very optimistic, absolutely. Optimistic in the sense that I see more opportunities, that I see hurdles to advance and better address current shortcomings of healthcare. It's been so good to talk to you today. So much uh, information, so much interesting knowledge and ideas and concepts that people can take forward from this. And as you say, the word that we end with today or keep in everyone's mind is making sure that that narrative is, is absolutely nailed throughout all of this. Thank you so much for joining me. Looking forward to speaking to you again in five, 10 and 15 years time to find out which eggs were correct in the basket. Yeah, yeah. Count on me for that. Uh, happy if, if I'm still around to, to talk about that in the next coming years. Thanks for having me. It was, was super, super nice. It was a pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtec Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtech.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.